Welcome to the FitPro Podcast, a brand new initiative from FitPro for forward-thinking professionals who want the latest information while on the move. We hope you enjoy this week's pod, and for further information about today's podcast, head over to our social media pages and start the conversation. And to offer feedback and suggestions for future podcasts, get in touch with us at publish at fitpro.com. Welcome to the FitPro podcast. Today I'm joined by author, journalist, marathon runner and Rolling Stones obsessive, Phil Hewitt. Phil's latest book, Outrunning the Demons, is in my opinion a must-buy for all trainers out there and their clients who want to understand the true power of running. Even if you aren't a runner yourself, get inside the minds of those who are. Phil, it's great to have you with us today. Perhaps you can begin... Thank you for mentioning the Rolling Stones. <laughs> how, how much of a fan are we talking? Oh, obsessive, lifelong obsessive. I saw them for the first time in 1982 on the last day of A-levels and uh, just couldn't believe that I managed to because I've been going back 20 years. I thought I was seeing them at the very last opportunity and then 38 years later, saw them last year. Wow. And they're phenomenal. They're my uh, sort of accompaniment for life, really. They keep me going. Do you, do you listen to that? Is that one? Is that your on your on your running playlist? <laughs> no, actually, they're almost too special to listen to on running playlists. Oh. I think when you're listening while you're running, you're just wanting rhythm. My mm. um, music preference while running is basically status quo. I love status quo, but there's just something about the chug 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 chug, which is so conducive to running. So, but uh, state, uh, boring stains, I like to be doing nothing else and actually concentrating and thinking. There we go. There's a claim. <laughs> so perhaps for our readers and listeners who aren't aware of your latest book, perhaps you could kind of paint the picture of, of what which led, led you to write Outrunning the uh, Demons. Of course, um, I am a running obsessive. That's something I've always loved. But I've always adored cricket. And so it was an ambition for a long, long time to go and watch England play cricket abroad. And I had the opportunity in early 2016 when England were playing in South Africa. I'd been to Cape Town before and just fancied going back and combining it with actually singing some cricket. And I went to the gorgeous Newlands ground, cricket ground in Cape Town, to watch a one-day international England against South Africa. And I just spent the day on an absolute high. It was just so wonderful to be there. It's just such a beautiful ground. And England lost, and all the South Africans around me were taking the mick that I travelled so far to see England lose. <laughs> but it was just a brilliant, brilliant day. And I wandered out of the ground at the end on a total high. And I think I, that's probably why I made a series of pretty stupid decisions. The ground is about six or seven miles from the centre of Cape Town. Mm. And it's probably about half five in the evening. It's a lovely evening. Not that much light left, but I thought it'd be enough. And I just thought I'd walk back. And I asked various people and they said, well, it's that way, but I wouldn't do it if I were you. And I just sort of ignored that and just kind of kept going in a kind of male reckless way um, just sort of thinking I'll be okay whatever happened mm. not even consciously thinking that just not thinking of danger and after a while I was walking alongside the motorway because that was the only way back into central Cape Town I thought oh my god this is stupid so I legged it across the motorway and slithered down an embankment on the other side and found myself in this vast desolate open suburb which I recognised it was cleared during the apartheid era completely bulldozed and has remained empty almost like a protest no one wants to go back in there but it 
side. I thought, fantastic, I'm nearly there. But what I didn't know was it's a desperately dangerous, horrible, crime-ridden part uh, where all sorts of ne'er-do-wells hang out. And I was just striding through it. So I could see where I was going on the horizon. And some bloke ran up to me and seemed to punch me a couple of times and knock me over. And I pulled him to the ground and he was kicking me in the back, kicking me in the head, kicking me in the stomach. It was all rolled around. And I looked down and I could see that my leg was absolutely covered in blood. And what I thought of being punches hadn't been punches at all. It stabbed me. Mm. But at that point, I let go of my camera, which is what he was trying to get from me. So, so up until that point, you were holding on to your possessions? I was holding on to my camera because I was thinking, yeah. oh, my God, I found 400 pictures of the cricket. <laughs> oh, I wasn't going to let go of that. Let go of those. I, I don't know whether I should just let go and let him have it. I think in some ways, if I had just handed it over, I would have been more vulnerable because I might have been tempted to chase after him. Mm. Yeah, might not be here to tell the tale. What, what do you think stopped you from, you know, turning around, you know, as soon as you were walking down that, in that area? I think it was the knowledge that I'd come so far. It was the knowledge that back at the cricket ground, there were no buses, no taxis, and I hadn't made an arrangement. And you sort of commit yourself by just going. And you think, well, you know, at that point, I'd done about three and a four three or four miles out of six or seven. But we don't turn around. And if I did turn around, there'd be nothing for me. And I think it's also just not thinking about the dangers. I think I was naive, stupid. Um, just kept going, just kept going. So when I let go of the camera, he just stood up and stood over me and just stood there and kicked and kicked and kicked and kicked and kicked in a couple of ribs. And, yeah, one of the really horrible bits was when he ran off, I tried to pull myself up and had this stone in my hand and I just sort of almost went to throw it at him. I thought, no, don't do that. That's not a good idea. Come back and finish you off. And I just watched him retreat and I kind of pulled myself from the undergrowth onto the pavement, mm. off the pavement, and just lay on the pavement. And, you know, it's awful the things that go through your mind. One thing I thought was, I'm not going to see the office again, which is a pretty stupid thing to think. I also thought, thank goodness I'm wearing my favourite Rolling Stones t-shirt. <laughs> it was possibly my way of signing off. And the other thing I think I thought was just, oh shit, really. Um, there was no one around. It was deserted. It was an early evening on a Sunday. It was completely open. It was horrible, rubbly, scrubby area. Mm. Completely desolate. And I was on the pavement. There was blood on the pavement. All I could see was the blood on my leg. And just thinking, I'm going to shut my eyes. I just want to close my eyes and lie back and just, you know, let it be over. But also I was thinking I needed to prop myself up. If I just lay back, I would probably have looked dead. No one would have stopped. So I would certainly have bled to death. Uh, so I was trying to prop myself up and just try and look around, show a sign of life just in case anyone passed. Mm. Thinking about how much time do I have? Uh, you know, they, they weren't necessarily fatal wounds, but the, the, to my calf, it was a six-inch gash. Um, to my thigh, it was a puncture wound that just went in and hit bone. And, yeah, so there was a lot of blood. Uh, I was looking around thinking, if something doesn't happen, I'm going to die. Mm. And something did happen, fortunately. Something absolutely extraordinary. One car passed, no cars around the past, and this one car passed. And there was a pizza delivery. 
he just took charge. A guy called Stephen. He was fantastic. It was Butler's Pizza Company. So he was a, are, you, are you still in touch with yeah, like a, Stephen now? Uh, are you still in touch with Stephen now? forward to now how do you how do you mindfully manage the the what ifs of of that day I think I think you said in your book that you you know you, you have the belief that he didn't mean he wasn't you know planning to kill you as it were. No. So you know there's that no, he didn't mean for the harm. Yeah. To come.
bleeding in the way I was, you might as well have killed them. You know, I, mm. I don't know if I'd have bled to death. I was still bleeding when I was in hospital. Yeah, I just tried to think what the consequences would have been. And just, you are thinking, what if, you know, at what point did the attack become inevitable? Mm. At what point could I have avoided it? Could I have avoided it right up to the last moment? Or did, or did it become inevitable at the moment I thought, I'm going to walk? And those things just go round and round your brain. And I think in some ways, I can cope in my mind with the fact I was attacked because it was a kind of logical development of all the things that went wrong. And I was boxing myself in and making the wrong decisions. And yes, you're going to walk with an expensive camera through a dodgy part of Cape Town early in the evening. Chances are you're going to get attacked. But I think the real trauma, the thing that I really struggle in my mind is getting rescued. Was it just an absolute fluke? Mm. Was it meant to be? Was it just not my time? I don't know. Yeah, I know that is all. Yeah. Everything else seems logical apart from out of nowhere mm. appearing. And almost surreally funny in a pizza delivery car. That's just bonkers, really. Um, <laughs> all those things just went round and round my mind, all the what ifs and, you know, all the implications of it. And just, I think trauma freezes you in a moment. And I'm still in that moment, I think, of just thinking, am I going to die? And I don't. I, it's my default position, I think. I can't have an empty mind anymore. If I'm not thinking of something, I think I'm back on that pavement. And mm. it's not like it's a memory, it's like it's happening now. The first few weeks after, You're not, you're not in control of your emotions at that point. No, absolutely not, no. And so I just booked an appointment the next morning to see our lovely local nurse, Bishop's Fortham in Hampshire, and he's a fantastic runner. And I just went in and said, look, um, I had this terrible experience. It's obvious that my wounds are infected. There's something very wrong with them, you know. I nearly killed over in a shopping centre. They looked at them and said, Phil, your wounds are healing nicely. Do you think you ought to talk to someone? There was nothing to do with wounds. Mm. It was all to do with the trauma. Mm. I decided I was going to address it two ways. That evening, I started writing down everything that had happened, all the emotions, all the thoughts, everything, all the detail, all the humiliation, all the concerns, all the horror. And then the next morning, I went for a run. And even though I had two holes in my leg, one of which was quite a gash and um, not properly healed yet and healing nicely but not properly healed and I had three broken ribs on the other side um, it's just something about getting out there and running just, you, men- you mentioned running has made you a survivor and you're no, you know, you're no longer a victim although, uh, although I read your story in words such as bravery, strength and recovery came into mind how long did you leave yourself a victim for and what is it about running that changed this to Survivor? I'm not sure bravery comes into it. I think you, you reach a, a, such a low point that the only way is back up. I think a Survivor, I don't know. I think it was just running took me 
what I love doing and it just made me feel like I'm Phil again. You know, I'm Phil, he's run 30 marathons, I've now run 35, I'm so proud. But since the standing, I've, I've run five more and they feel like the most crucial marathons of the whole lot. It's just reclaiming yourself so you're not defined by what happened. What happened, yeah. How, how, how did the... Really how definitely how, how did the how did the 31st marathon compare to all the others so the marathon you did the first well, marathon you did after the attack everyone needs a real reason to run. Uneven. <laughs> but 30 sounds like 
That's like Ben Smith, where he told me that he had to. He picked the four hundred and one. Yeah. Because he, he rounded it up to yeah. four hundred and then just Definitely. added an extra one, which was going to be his victory marathon at the end. So Perfect. Yeah. that's how he got to. Then I'll stop and suggest that you're going to carry on. Mm. I like the fact I'm on thirty-five, but I haven't finished. So, in terms of the book and the the stories, how did you go about, you know, researching and interviewing and, and putting that whole piece together? Yeah, it was a lovely process. It was a really lovely process. I wrote down my story and sent it off to Bloomsbury in London and was so fortunate to come across their commissioning editor, Matt Lowy, who was just brilliant. And he said he doubted the commercial potential of the story of one unknown stabbed runner, but he loved the idea of running as healing and asked me to try and expand that to bring in lots of other stories. Mm. And there's just something immediately appealing about that idea. So I had a couple of days with the world's worst search history, search engine history. I was just looking up murder, marathon, runner, explosion, terrorism. I just compiled a list of people who had been through really difficult times, but had used running as a way of healing. I came up with a short list and then started approaching people. And what was so lovely was that people were just so willing to share their story. And I think that's been a huge part of my... Um, I think I think reading the book has been it's one of such a change of emotion. Like I know when I've read it, I've been you know reading it on the tube, and uh, I even have to look up to see if people looking at me either got tears in my eyes or I'm sort of smiling at one part. Um, but I think it is. It's a really turbulent read. I would say. Well, it was. Um, I read yesterday Jessica's story, oh, and just that, just that, just the role reversal. You know, she was the one that idolised her fitness instructor when she turned up at the Y, and then in the end, she she's the strong figure. You know, she's the one that's putting on all of these events, raising money for her. You know, for the college tuition fees. Yeah, um, the tragedy being that her mm. fitness instructor was gunned down yeah. in America. Um, yeah. there's hope isn't there there's hope i think and there's hope a lot a lot of the a lot of the stories I think it's uplifting as well to show 
you know, to show that human side of people. Like I know you had the Alistair Campbell section in there as well. You know, it's just to show that everyone is human. Everyone is going through trying and, you know, tough times. And it sort of unites everyone in that same Definitely. process. You know, the toughness of life is kind of an equaliser, isn't it? Whatever your personal circumstances, we can all go through horrible things. Mm. But equally, whatever your personal circumstances, assuming a basic level of fitness, we can all use running mm. and come out the other side. And my, my way of thinking of the book is that these are people who have been to hell and have found that the quickest, safest, surest way back is to run. But I think what's also an interesting point is how, how these people have actually recognised that they needed to do something to help with their recovery. So there's that, the self-acceptance and mental health, which yeah. is another massive area, which for a lot of people, they haven't accepted that they need help. Um, I think when you say recognise, it's almost too conscious. I think in a lot of cases, it was almost an instinct. That's mm. a, a lovely story of an American war widow. Her husband was a captain who was uh, sadly killed in Afghanistan. No, Iraq, sorry, Iraq. And she just obeyed an instinct. She had nowhere to grieve because she had young children. She just needed somewhere to be by herself so she could cry, so she could sob. And that's what she did. She just put on her running shoes, got someone to look after the kids, and ran around the camp. Are they all have they linked up with each other? Is there a, is the conversation continuing? Deal with these, these boys. They, I don't 
that sharing that trauma how I think you know people don't realize how much it's actually helping other people yeah, um, So, so did your therapist not have sort of ex- experience? Do your therapist not have experience? Well, no, they can't have in the same way. Um, no, well, no, no. How do you ensure that you have a healthy relationship with running? Well, I suppose like when yeah, when do you think too much becomes too much, um, and it starts to impact on other areas of life, or because I know some runners, you know, if they don't have an event kind of lined up or booked in, it can actually have you, know, you can experience anxiety if you're not. Yeah. training for, for a future I'm event. I'm really lucky that running has always been my great support, my great mate, my great ally, and uh, <laughs> as a member, I don't think I've ever taken it too far. Yeah. Mm. I think, yeah, I rely on it a great deal, but I think it just naturally finds its level. I think, I can't really explain it, I think I'm just lucky. Yeah. It just happens naturally, and just comes with such great benefits. Yeah, that's good. I think, I think yeah, because I think for some people it does yeah it does sort of take take over um oh, absolutely yes but the, the gym freaks can get completely obsessed can't they mm. you need to especially if you're obsessing with body image well at my age i don't think i'm too worried about my body image really <laughs> yeah i think it, it yeah running just finds a natural equilibrium in my life um i probably oughtn't to question that really too much because it's just happening naturally and feels right yeah, that's good. And what sort of do you use any visualization techniques when you're running? What, what do you th- are you in a race setting when you're sort of running on your own? Or I just like to uh, for the first few years of running, I sort of struggled a bit thinking oh, I'm not thinking great thoughts. I should be solving problems. And I used to frustrated about that. And then I tried naming Rolling Stone songs in order on the albums. Mm. It's a bit too much of a strain. So I think I just let myself go. And I think it's all down to the surroundings. There's a lovely diffuse railway line here in Hampshire that I run along. And it's just, it's just the perfect mind tunnel. It's beautiful whatever time of the year. And it's just like cleansing. You just throw yourself in it and it's probably six or seven miles of just running. Well, that's a straight line. That's nice, you're yeah. You're down this green tunnel in the spring. You're running down this orange, red, yellow tunnel in the autumn. And it's just beautiful. 
music while running. Yeah, I'd like to be able to do that. I'm I'm too competitive, to be honest. I fe- I struggle to just go out for a run and just just see what happens. I'm running on my own in the park and I'm trying to take over the person in front of me. <laughs> or I'm running past the solitary figure on the bench and I think I've already gone past him three times. I'm going to go around again. <laughs> so I'm, I have my own little competitive race. Even though I'm running on my own, there's no race. <laughs> But that's how I, if I'm training for something, that's how I kind of, you know, build up the keep going, I guess. Yeah, I find it hard just to sort of go out and just have a little run. I have to be a little bit competitive. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that's the lovely thing about running, isn't it? It's so flexible. You can make it what you want. And at the end of the day, it's just the only thing that matters is you've been out and done it, really. Mm. Well, perhaps I'm talking to someone I know I'm not going to beat my best marathon time for 10 years ago. I'm just going out because I love the experience. Yeah, no, that's nice. Yeah, no, I'm trying to get a PB at the moment, so then you're sort of being quite tough in yourself. <laughs> oh, well, you're in that Would you offer, be able to offer any advice to runners who are escaping trauma? Obviously, it's all personal, but I don't know anything that you could yeah, I share think some I advice. Know, I'm a bit woolly, but I think just listen to your body. I think your body will let you know what, what it wants. And even though I did have holes in my leg and broken ribs, I listened to my body and it was so much the right thing to just go for that run. It really was the turning point. Mm. Uh, I think one of those one of those situations where probably your body knows best. Yeah. And just be patient with yourself, be kind to yourself. Definitely. I think one of the things I discovered from writing the book is the great pleasure of chatting to other runners is something I've never really done enough. But mm. we've got so much we can give each other. Yeah, that's yeah, definitely. Something I did like was say Alistair Campbell of Alistair Campbell's comments at the end when he said no one looks at a runner and thinks, poor guy, he must be so lonely. And I think it just, I do think about that because there does seem to be, a, there's, there's a social acceptance for someone to run on their own. Yeah. I run on my own, but I wouldn't dine on my own. <laughs> and I just, I just right. it's quite interested in that. I just think it's quite, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Tidies the mind. Uh, yeah. I think. Yes. Reorganises. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you for your time today, Phil. Well, really lovely to speak to you. Very best wishes for your running and thank you for more information about FitPro education and for details on FitPro membership and insurance, you can visit us at fitpro.com. We hope you enjoy the today's podcast and see you next time.